Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me invite you to let me invite you to hear these words from Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all that he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you cannot take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we're God's workmanship, we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Since the fall of 1973, almost 50 years ago, when I took an undergraduate Bible class as a sophomore at Freed Hardeman University, a course that explored some of Paul's letters, including Ephesians, Since that time, Ephesians has been my favorite letter in the New Testament. When I was doing undergraduate work, students were required to memorize 75 Bible verses in each Bible class that you took. Well, I fell in love with Ephesians so much that I ended up memorizing the entire book. Now, that was back in the day when most of us were reading from the King James Translation And so I would have difficulty reciting it in the King James Version today. But I can still point to every paragraph in the book of Ephesians. I fell in love with with that book. It would be hard to determine, but my guess is that I've preached more sermons from Ephesians over the past 45 years than any other New Testament letter. It is a letter that breathes life into me, the rich theological themes regarding God's mercy and grace and kindness, Uh, the words of Paul regarding the church, that we are one in Christ Jesus, and that we have been invited to engage in good works as the body grows and builds itself up in love as we honor God's mission in the world. Uh, When I preach from one of Paul's letters, and many of you are aware of this from sermons you've heard me preach, When I preach from one of Paul's letters, I typically point out that Paul begins most of his letters with a prayer of thanksgiving. After an opening greeting, Paul often offers a prayer of thanksgiving for the church that he's writing to, sometimes in very specific ways. 
Uh, he may thank God for the partnership that they share together in ministry, as he does in the book of Philippians. He may thank God for their faith and hope and love, as he does in 1 Thessalonians. Sometimes uh, the prayer is more generic, even though it's addressed to that particular church. It's a bit more generic and can, can apply to all believers. And that is the case in Ephesians, in my judgment. In fact, Ephesians chapter 1 is somewhat unique. After the opening greeting, Paul offers a prayer of thanksgiving that is one sentence in the original language, verses 3 through 14. It is a prayer that begins with the phrase, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in that prayer, Paul enumerates a number of the blessings that we experience in Jesus. We have been chosen. We have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. And we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, a deposit, a guarantee of our future inheritance. And then, after that opening prayer of thanksgiving, Paul offers another prayer that brings us to the close of chapter 1. It is a prayer in which he asks God to, to open the eyes of our hearts in order that we might more fully know the hope to which God has called us, that we might grab hold of how precious we are to God and that we might know the power that lives within us, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then in the paragraph that follows, the paragraph I read at the opening of chapter 2, Paul uses that illustration of God raising Christ from the dead to remind us that God has also raised us from the dead. He has raised us from spiritual death to experience newness of life with Jesus. And so let me invite you for just a couple of moments to reflect again on some of the phrases in that paragraph. He opens by saying, once you were dead because of your disobedience, because of your many sins. Once you used to live in sin, controlled by your passionate desires. In fact, he says, all of us, all of us used to live that way. It is a stark reminder of the reality of sin. It is a stark reminder of the devastating consequences of sin. We were dead. We were separated from God because of our sin, because of our disobedience. I fear at times when we talk about sin, it is so easy to compare ourselves to others. After all, we're pretty good folks. It is so easy when I talk about sin to compare myself to others, even to compare myself to you. After all, your sins are worse than mine. It is so easy for us to minimize. And Paul clearly reminds us, in contrast to our tendency to minimize, Paul reminds us that we're all sinners. We're all on the same level playing field. All of us were dead because of our disobedience. In fact, just a bit later in this chapter, Paul says before the coming of Jesus, we were without hope and without God in this world. Years ago, I heard a minister say that the book of Ephesians is all about God's solution 
to our sin problem. It's all about God's mercy and grace and kindness. But he went on to say before we can fully appreciate God's solution, we need to come to grips with our situation. We're dead in sin. We are without hope and without God. And so as we reflect on those words in Ephesians 2, may we never minimize the power and influence of sin. But, and that is such a key word in this paragraph, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Even when we were dead in transgressions, we were dead. And if you're dead, you're powerless. We were dead. We were powerless. We're not saved because of our power or our goodness, not because of our good works. No, Paul says it is by grace that we have been saved. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. Now, let me be very personal for just a moment. And some of you may be able to identify with this. I didn't hear very many sermons on grace when I was growing up. In fact, most of the sermons I heard on grace were sermons that reminded us that we could fall from grace. Didn't hear a whole lot of sermons on the grace of God. In fact, the sermons that I heard on salvation primarily focused on our response to God rather than focusing on what God has done for us. But you see, Paul doesn't pull any punches. Paul reminds us there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. It is by grace that we've been saved. Salvation is a gift. Yes, we must be willing to accept the gift. We must say yes to the gift. It is by grace through faith, Paul says, our faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. But it is Paul reminding us that we're saved by grace. It took me a long time to grab hold of that and to embrace that marvelous truth. I grew up in the church. I was a pretty good kid. Yes, I recognized I was a sinner, but as I said earlier, your sins were a whole lot worse than my sins were. And so my standing with God for many, many years was much more dependent on my righteousness than anything else until I really began to read and absorb books like Ephesians and Romans and come to grips with the fact that I was a sinner and at the top of that list of sins was my self-righteousness. Suddenly all the planks that I had depended upon began to, pull, began to be pulled out from underneath me. I had to come to grips with the fact that my righteousness apart from God's grace could not save me. I finally began to embrace the grace of God and the peace and the confidence and the, the assurance that comes with it. It is by grace that we have been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It is by grace. It is the gift of God. And if you stay with Paul in this opening paragraph, even beyond what I've just said about being saved by grace, Paul says that, that we, the church, 
are God's, depending on your translation, are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And if we grab hold of nothing else today, I hope we grab hold of the fact that we embrace the fact that we as the church are God's masterpiece. No matter what we bring to the table in the midst of all of our failures, in the midst of all of our struggles, God looks at us and says, you are my masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. The word that is translated, again, depending on your translation, handiwork or masterpiece, occurs only one other time in the New Testament outside of Ephesians 2. Romans chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood by what has been made. By what has been made. His handiwork. His workmanship, His masterpiece, creation, Paul says in Romans 1, is God's masterpiece. The beauty of a sunset or a sunrise, the beauty of the mountains, the beauty of the oceans. And Paul in Ephesians 2 says, that's what we are. That's what the church is. God's masterpiece, God's new creation in Christ Jesus And so the church, the new creation of God, God's handiwork, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece. And let me be very careful here for a moment. Stay with me. When we are describing a work of art or a literary piece or a piece of work by a craftsman, we will often use the word masterpiece to describe what is considered the greatest work of a person's career. And so we refer to an artist masterpiece, a craftsman, the masterpiece that has been done, his or her masterpiece. And if you would allow me to use the word in that way for just a moment, might we say, Yes, indeed, creation is God's masterpiece. But might we be bold enough to say the church is God's greatest work, God's masterpiece. That's what you and I are. And listen, Paul says, we were created to do good works. In fact, one chapter later in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul will use language that is similar to the language he used in Romans 1 when he talks about the world, God's creation. Ephesians 3, he says, God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Romans 1, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature are clearly seen through creation, his masterpiece. Ephesians 3, through the church, God's wisdom is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God created us. God created the church as his masterpiece. And God trusts us to be a witness to the world of his goodness and faithfulness and wisdom. Is it any wonder then that Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that we might know how precious we are 
in God's sight. That we're his masterpiece, that we're created to do good works. As we embrace our identity in Jesus, we engage in good works. And so as, as Ephesians continues to unfold, for example, in chapter 4, Paul will say that, that God has brought us all together, one in Christ Jesus, and he has given the body of Christ a variety of gifts in order that we might honor God's mission, that we might walk alongside each other, blessing and encouraging one another, and that we might engage our world with the good news of Jesus. And we celebrate those gifts and the good works that grow out of those gifts, the masterpiece of God again, serving one another, serving our community, walking alongside each other, blessing and encouraging one another. In fact, as I talk about that, we could talk about any number of ministries at Monterey that bless us and that bless our community and our world. But today, in particular, we want to bless a new ministry at Monterey, the Stephen Ministry. The design of this ministry is for trained Stephen ministers to walk alongside others when folks are experiencing challenges or heartaches or struggles in life, one-on-one, -on -one, blessing and encouraging and supporting. We actually introduced this ministry to you last September. Joy Drumwright, Scott Gwynn, Daryl Landsman, and Tara Souter are the leaders of this ministry. And since January of this year, they have led training sessions on Wednesday night for 16 folks who have made the commitment to be Stephen ministers. These brothers and sisters have made a significant commitment already in terms of the time they've devoted to this ministry to be trained, and we are grateful. Today, we want to affirm them in this ministry and to pray over them as they step into this new chapter of their lives. And so I would invite you to turn your attention to the screen as those Stephen ministers make their way to the stage. Well, I feel like I get to be a part of a larger group that's working together to show the grace and the love of, of Jesus uh, to someone who's going through an extra difficult season of life. Um, Stephen Ministry has really been um, about hope for me. Um, I think Stephen Ministry is just about loving people, being genuine, um, trying to meet them where they're at and walk alongside them. And that gives me a lot of hope because it kind of gives me a roadmap on how to be a loving Christian and how to um, further God's kingdom. I've grown closer to God uh, through scripture and prayer. This was the area in my life that I was not very strong in. And through Stephen ministry, it's helped me realize how important this is in my life. Stephen Ministry has given me the tools that I need to work with people and therefore it's given me a lot more confidence in helping them to find a place of healing. But most of all, I realize that God is the cure giver, that it's only way to be healed and find strength and peace is through Him and that I am just a tool to be used by Him. 
One of the main skills that we developed uh, with our training sessions was listening and listening with patience and without judgment. And I'm trying to use that in my day-to-day uh, relationships at home. I don't know if my family uh, can attest that I've improved, but that's been one of my goals. And, and I think I've seen it on occasion. I hope that continues to grow as well. I'm excited to be able to be used by God, to be a vessel and let His light shine through me um, onto other people and make them feel His love. And I'm also excited about the ripple effect I feel like this will have on our church body and on all the people here. I feel like it kind of will foster a sense of authenticity in our church and that people will really look at each other and try to carry each other's burdens and walk alongside them for their joys and their hard times. So last September, as Barry had said, we announced the beginning of this new ministry here at Monterey called Stephen Ministry, a ministry that equips people to provide one-on-one care, Christian care to people in our congregation and our community who are experiencing difficulties in their lives. Four of us called Stephen leaders, as Barry had mentioned, Scott Gwen, Dara Landsman, Tara Souter, and myself. Once we started this, we began praying and asking who would be willing to walk through, to go through this extensive training, be prayerful about what God was doing, and to walk alongside others to provide that one-to-one care, love, support, and allow God to provide the healing to those who were struggling. Uh, The 16 people, 14 are up here, two weren't able to make it this morning, but the 16 people that are here, they have walked through five plus months of training, 50 hours almost every Wednesday night between January and May. 